Welcome back to Two Live Jew. I'm your host, Jacob Wool. Laura Loomer here as well. Laura, how's it going? It's going well. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm overseas right now in an undisclosed location. And, uh, you know, we're just uh, we're running a day behind. People are going to have to forgive us. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. So uh, we've got a lot to get into here. Obviously, it was it was a crazy, crazy week between Facebook basically crashing. Uh, we've got the, the trade war in full swing. You know, we, we've got jihadist attacks all over the world this week. I mean, if there had been one tenth of the amount of Islamic terror activity 10 years ago as there is today, it would be all over the news. It would be talked about 24-7 and people would be up in arms and we don't even hear about it now. So we're going to go through all of it. Laura's got an exclusive report that she posted on Big League Politics earlier this week about a Toronto PD cover-up of the jihadist threat. We're going to be talking about that. We're going to unpack it, bring you through it in detail. That's where we start today. Uh, Laura, th- I read this report from you. It's it's really remarkable. I, I, I don't even know where to start. So they, they knew that something was going to happen. Explain this to us. Yeah, so basically I uncovered that the Toronto police knew a week before the Danforth shooting, the Danforth ISIS attack, that there was going to be an Islamic terrorist attack. And the police officers had actually did on Twitter... I'll read you the tweet. This was on July 12th. We're responding to an unconfirmed, uncorroborated piece of information. Um, As a result, you will see an increased number of police officers throughout the city and specifically in downtown. Well, it turns out that it wasn't really unconfirmed information because they have received information that there was going to be an active vehicular jihad in Toronto on the 12th, right, or around that time period. And so police, like I said, they knew for a week beforehand. And you can see that this, uh, the the memo was published by the Toronto Sun over a week ago, right? This was when that story came out. But then uh, nobody had really put two and two together. And uh, then I released this exclusive report. And uh, it's it's shocking, really, because it goes to show that the police in Toronto allowed for people to walk into a kill zone. And while they had advanced knowledge that there was going to be some type of ISIS attack, they failed to neutralize any terrorists beforehand. And now two people are dead, a 10 year old and an 18 year old. And adding insult to injury, one of the girls who died, the 18 year old girl, she was a volunteer for Justin Trudeau. So that let this be known that liberalism literally kills. All right. Justin Trudeau is on vacation at the moment. He has yet to speak out about this. And one of, his, one of his own volunteers died as a result of his policies. Right, right. And, you know, like like Sadiq Khan and the Justin Trudeaus of the world have told us before, living in a big city, uh, terror, Islamic terror is just a reality. What they should say is that if you live in a city that's run by Democrats, then being killed by Islamic terrorists is just a reality of life, because that's how it really is. I mean, I, I live in a big city. I live in a major city. But guess what? We don't have Democrats in charge. I'm not worried about uh, Islamic terror the way I would be if I were run, if I were living in a liberal-run city. But one of the things that was remarkable within the context of this whole investigation and the memo and, and what we learned about all this is that I'm looking here, and it says that a major incident command center, or MIC, was set up with specialized support units designed to handle chemical, biological, radiological, and nuclear-type threats. Yes, that's correct. So they were preparing for a full-blown terrorist attack, and yet they failed to inform the public that uh, this is the information that they had. What what have we been saying on the show? We've been saying that their whole plan, the chatter out there, is they want to drive a dirty bomb in a van or a truck into a major city center and radiate the whole city. And it's not us pulling this out of our ass saying this. This is coming from top 
law enforcement and intel sources out there. I mean, you, you don't have to take it from us. Go make friends with the, uh, the the people in charge yourself, and they'll tell you. I mean, this this is unprecedented what they're planning to do. And clearly, Toronto PD was preparing for something like that. That's not quite what they got for one reason or another. Thank exactly. God. Yeah. And uh, the fact that it makes you wonder, what else do they know, right? What type of stuff uh, have they been hiding? Were they talking about uh, Faisal Hussein, this Islamic terrorist who killed two people and shot 12 others? Or is there somebody else who they were expecting, right? A a vehicular uh, type of jihad. What were they expecting, right? And why is it? Why is it that in Canada they failed to arrest Faisal Hussein after they knew they were monitoring him? If you read my report, they had been monitor- monitoring him prior to the shooting because he was visiting ISIS site. All right. Right. How come he wasn't arrested? Right. And this is what we effectively have. And we've got another whole segment later in the show just talking about what's happening in Europe. But what we've got is we've got now tens of thousands of ISIS fighters, freshly minted from professional training camps in the Middle East, professional grade training camps, that is, and they're coming back to the West. And the whole idea is, well, the caliphate's been effectively flattened by Trump's bombing campaigns over there. So so the caliphate's been, you know, basically flattened. Now what they're planning to do is set up a digital caliphate where they all congregate online and then the orders are sent out via the internet and they basically have you know sleeper cells in the west sometimes it's one person sometimes it's three four five six twelve you never know uh but that's basically what they've got going and because we allowed this to happen in the first place and then because we allowed these people to come back into our country this is what we get to deal with this is the big prize that we get to deal with laura exactly so it's really, really something to, to keep your eye out for. Cultural enrichment. Right. And the Democrats have no plan to stop this. The Justin Trudeaus of the world have no plan to stop this. They, they, they're they just letting these people flood right in, uh, along with all kinds of uh, future ISIS fighters that you have in these military age men, most of which who are not refugees. And I learned this week, most of whom aren't Syrian. I talked to one of my sources this week, and he was telling me, most of the people coming into Europe and the U.S. who say they're Syrian aren't even Syrian. They're Moroccan. They're Egyptian. They're Saudi. They come from everywhere. They just oh, know well, that I have proof of that. I mean, I when I was working for Project Veritas, I was in Greece and I did an undercover operation. And there's a video of me speaking to these so-called uh, Syrian refugees who were explaining how they were there illegally and how they had they were going to use fake passports to come. You, to You America. say explaining. You mean bragging. They were bragging to you. Yes, they were bragging. Yes. So they were bragging to me. And you can see on camera, they're talking about how they like Hillary Clinton and they plan to vote Democratic and how uh, it's so easy. All you have to do is pay 3,000 euros and you get a fake passport and then you come to America. I mean, really, really scary stuff. And as I mentioned on the previous uh, episode of Two Live Jew, uh, last week, the Border Patrol in Laredo, Texas, detained four Bangladeshis who were trying to get into our country illegally. And as you know, the fragmented parts of ISIS are now uh, leaving Iraq and Syria and they're going to uh, to places like India, right? And they're going to places like Bangladesh and they're joining AQIF, right? Because they're now joining forces uh, with, 
with Al Qaeda type uh, terrorist organizations uh, in the Indian subcontinent, and that is how they are advancing into the English speaking world uh, now that uh, the ISIS uh, stronghold, I guess, has been uh, seriously yeah. damaged in Iraq and Syria. And do you and know that's what, why you have? Do what? you know what the, one of the interesting parts of this is, Laura? And I maybe you notice this in Greece. I want to ask you: is it's not poor people that join ISIS? This is a big misconception that people have. They think, oh, poverty. It's poverty that pushes people to Islamic terror, which, by the way, never made any sense anyway, because there's plenty of poor places around the world. Look, South Central LA is poor. People aren't blowing themselves up. But the whole idea of this this being a, a result of poverty or, or global warming or crop failures is, is just patently ridiculous. There's been crop failures for thousands of years, and people didn't blow themselves up every time there was a crop failure. I mean, th this is the biggest scam out there. Most of the people that are joining ISIS are doctors, they're lawyers. These are, these are middle class, or even some cases, upper middle class or upper class Muslims. That is who is joining up. That's who's joining the caliphate. Well, it reminds me of when that moron, remember Marie Harf a few years ago? She now surprisingly works for Fox News. I don't know why they hired her, but remember that lady Marie Harf used to work for the State Department under Obama? You know what? Yeah, I do. Yeah, now it's ringing a bell. Remember uh -huh. her? She uh, works, from Fox. She's on that show, now she's on Fox. on Fox News mm -hmm. now. Yes, and yes. She's like, they're so-called token liberal, but oops, surprise, half the people who work at Fox are actually liberal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So... So Marie Hart, I remember she caused a firestorm a few years ago because she said, oh, well, you know, we could really end a lot of the terrorism in the Middle East and ISIS. They wouldn't be terrorists if we could just give them education and if they weren't so poor. And there's no correlation between poverty and lack of education and terrorism, right? Some of the most powerful terrorists in the world, when you think of people like Osama bin Laden, Saddam Hussein, uh, Gaddafi, like, I mean, the list goes on and on. They are some of the richest, most powerful, most educated people in the world, right? Yeah. Who sent their children overseas to universities in Europe to become educated. I mean, it is such a fallacy to no, say no, people forget. that terrorists are uneducated. There are, do you know how many, do you know how many members of ISIS have advanced degrees and they're individuals who have converted to Islam, who are living in Europe, who are attending university PhDs, in the United States? MDs, you name it. Yep. MDs, they have, they have uh, graphic designers, all types of people. I mean, I mean, these are not just people who are sitting in a cave having sex with goats. All right. We're talking about very educated individuals who are working with ISIS. Right, right, right. It is it is really a it's a travesty. It's a travesty. And, uh, you know, it, it, it continues. It, it presses on. And, um, you know, I really I don't know what else to say. Here's here's the throwback clip, by the way. I've, I've pulled it up here uh, of of Marie Harf. Uh, here's what she had to say. Um, if I can if I can find the particular section here uh, where she says this. We are beginning to feel them at their curbside now. And what do we do as Americans when we look at 21 Christians beheaded for the purposes of humiliating us, mm -hmm. the Christian world, the Western world. It's aimed at us, those pictures. Well, I think it just underscores for people that this isn't just a fight in Iraq and in Syria, and that it's not just a fight about dropping bombs on terrorists. It's really how we stop the causes that lead to extremism in a place like Libya. The fact that there's no governance and there's no opportunity for young people, it lets groups like ISIL grow there and flourish there, which is what you saw with this awful situation with these Egyptians that you just mentioned. Uh, but this is a longer fight. It's fighting them on 
social media. Like you just said, these videos they produce. Fighting them on social media? What? Tweeting at them? They're using social media. Please don't behead me, Mr. Terrorist. And to spread their hatred all over the world. This week, we're going to have over 60 countries here in Washington to talk about how we combat this violent extremism together in the long term, not just in this short But it's not extremism. It's not as if you have groups of Jewish extremists and Christian extremists and atheist extremists going out and beheading Christians or blowing up churches. You don't have that. You have Muslims doing it. There's only one religion at this point in time that has a terror problem. And if it were Christianity, we'd say so. If it were Judaism, we'd say so. If it were Hindus, we'd say so. But it's not. It's not that. And to, to pretend as if it is, is the, is the major logical failing here, as Laura and I point out so often. But Laura, I want to talk about this this trade war, how it's shaping up, what is really going on, because there's a lot of people that are confused by this. They hear terms like trade deficit, they hear reciprocal trade flows, they hear reorganizing the supply chain, and, and they, they get, oh man, that's economics class, they tune out. So I want to make it really simple in order to help people understand you know, what Trump's perspective is here, what the other side's perspective is, and what we can take away from this and, and how we should all benefit from it. That's the big thing, instead of instead of being on the wrong end, the wrong end of the stick here. So last week we talked about this, and I mentioned how Trump was working together with Vladimir Putin to keep Xi Jinping in power, to keep him from, from falling, because the Chinese economy is faltering. They're going through a major deleveraging right now. They have all kinds of bad debt that they know is never going to be paid. And guess what debt is? One man's debt is another man's asset, and that those assets now vis-a-vis the debt need to be written down. But Steve Bannon this week spoke at CNBC's Delivering Alpha conference. It's a big kind of Wall Street, you know, hobnobbing event, kind of like Davos or the SALT conference that Scaramucci puts on. And at this conference, he basically, I mean, to me, Laura, it sounds like he copied and pasted what I was saying on the podcast last week. Here it is. We're at war with China. Ray Dalio he, he tweeted it the other day. We're at war with China. There's three, there's three types of war. The Chinese look at it. Information war, economic war, and guns up, kinetic war. They're at, been at economic war with us for 25 years. The no great power in world history has ever looked away of their greatest threat and at the same time dissipated its energy on something. We spent $7 trillion, Brown University, the Watson Center, shown we spent $7 trillion in 17 years on this war and terror and the war in the Middle East, right, with very bad outcomes. And we've allowed the rise of China. In fact, many people in this room, the elites of our country, have exacerbated the rise of China. And we were told time and time again until Donald Trump got here that it was the inexorable rise of China. It was the second law of thermodynamics. This was a law of physics in the natural world. In fact, the whole Thucydides uh, trap concept that Kissinger these guys came up with is based on the rising power and declining power. We're the declining power. That's the same theory they had before Ronald Reagan got here in the 1970s, that Russia and the Soviet Union was on the rise and we were on decline. That was what detente was about. That was what all the arms agreements were about. Ronald Reagan changed that and said, we can defeat these guys. We can bring this down. It was supposed to be 40 years. It happened in eight or 10 years. Same thing with Donald Trump. And he's mocked and ridiculed of not being some foreign policy expert. He's got enough understanding of the world and the way the world works to go after this. And quite frankly, we're winning. They talk about the Chinese haven't come back to us with a, uh, with a response in the trade thing. For the first time in the last 25 years, they don't know what to do. They're seeing an opponent that's standing up for themselves. 
So, yeah, I mean, Bannon perfectly elucidates what we've been saying for so long. It's that you have these so-called experts in the Washington, D.C., New York finance circle that believe, you know, last decade or last century, that was our century. 20th century was the century of America. And the 21st century will be the century of China. There's nothing we can do about it. All we can do is throw up our arms, get down on our knees and surrender and clap as China crosses the finish line into the world of AI and space travel and deep space and life extension technology and cloning and the rest of it. And we should just sit back and accept our role in the world as a third-rate country. Of course, Trump is changing all of that. He's turning it completely around by reorganizing the supply chain. And and to understand this, you have to understand the supply chain. What 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 does Steve Bannon mean by the supply chain? It's it's not as you would think normally as far as parts go here, get assembled and shipped over there. What what we really mean is you have a situation now in several scenarios in US trade relationships where cash goes one way and goods come the other way, but not in, in both directions, just in one direction. They get all the cash, we get all the goods. And there's some people that say Oh, no, this is a great deal. This, see, this is awesome. We get all these goods and, oh, we have to give them as a bunch of paper fresh off the press. You see, that's not true. Because when you're $21 trillion in debt, you need cash. And President Trump understands, hey, we've got $21 trillion in debt. The only way we're going to knock down this big pile of debt is not by trying to balance sheet our way out of it like the Freedom Caucus people do. You know, we, we don't need to necessarily get rid of school lunch programs to pay off the, the national debt. That's not going to happen. It's not going to be politically popular. And it's not really going to make a dent in the $21 trillion. It might make a tiny little itty bitty dent, but it's not going to do much. Instead, what Trump's doing is slashing China. $200 billion here. 500 billion there, 50 billion here. You can pay off a debt pretty quickly when you're chopping it down a half a trillion dollars at a time. And that is what President Trump is doing. At the same time, growing the tax base, that way you can pay off that debt. You can't do it by taking your current tax base and trying to balance sheet your way through it. It doesn't work. The math doesn't work. We've all seen the equations. You can tax every single person in the United States at 100% 10 times over. And guess what? You're still not going to pay off the debt. It would barely touch half of our national debt. And so all you can do is grow the economy, grow the country, grow the tax base, and end these ridiculous ripoff deals that we have with overseas nations. That is what Trump is doing. Does, does that make sense, Laura? I hope I'm elucidating this for people in an in a understandable way. Yeah, it makes sense. You always have such a good way of uh, explaining things to people, Jacob. Well, here's Steve Bannon's little prophecy. This is another point in the conference here. He has a prediction about what will happen, and it basically coincides with, with what I think will happen here. I think the number one thing you're going to see out of the trade war is the reorientation uh, of the complete supply chain of Japan, Western Europe, in the United States, and Southeast Asia, that 800 million people, even before you get to India, okay, around the freedom-loving countries. I think the regime in China is in deep trouble. Remember, the Ch this is different than the Chinese people. The Chinese people are some of the hardest working and best people in the world. Yeah, the regime in China is in trouble. That I can confirm. And it's it's a sad thing because the Chinese people are great. He's right. They work hard. They're, you know, generally very good. They don't really like us. You know, what can you do? Uh, you know, but they're they're hardworking. They're industrious. And they probably have a even bigger economy if it weren't for this damn authoritarian communism. You know, they probably growing be growing at 10 times the rate they're growing now. It's probably actually to our benefit. 
that they're a communist nation at the end of the day, um, at least insofar as, you know, you have a command economy in China. You, you have a semi-free market, but it essentially is still a command economy. It's not something where you can start a business today, sell a product, and, and get rich. It's, it's not that kind of place. It's not like a, a United States. But uh, we're bouncing around the world today, Laura. Uh, we're, we're moving at, at record pace, and I want to take everybody over to Europe now. Europe uh, has actually, this is our, we just want to kind of give Europe credit. It's been 10 years and they've yet to have one Islamic terror attack. Uh, you know, it's, it's unbelievable. 10 years, no Islamic terror attacks in Europe. Oh, wait, no, no, no. That's just what the fake news media is telling you. In fact, we've got a slew of headlines out of Europe. Have you seen any of this, Laura? I mean, it's, it's unreal. Just what's happened I this week. I definitely have seen it. So you don't, you're not going to hear about this. They've got government-sponsored censorship in Europe where they take things off of Facebook. But, but here's what we have. Here's just a taste of the last week in the European Union. Here we go. This is out of Greece. Pakistani migrant arrested for setting fires in the hills. We've all read about these big fires, hundreds killed in Greece, properties destroyed. Turns out it was a Pakistani migrant who set them off. He's now been arrested. French church set on fire and spray painted with the words Allah Akbar by North African Muslim migrants. Meanwhile, migrant stabs 11-year-old boy 11 times in Germany. Emergency surgery needed to save his life. Also in Germany, you know, they're trying to stop things like this. Woman receives large fine of $2,000 for criticizing refugees on Facebook. That's in Germany. She criticized Muslim refugees, open borders, $2,000 fine for her. She should learn her lesson. You don't criticize the people coming in and stabbing people 11 times. They're good. You're bad. Just remember that. I have another one that's really interesting, too. A girl in Sweden was threatened with rape and called a slut because she wasn't dressed like a Muslim. Oh, hmm. Interesting. Well, a new study finds in Sweden, uh, speaking of Sweden, that within four decades, there will be no majority of native Swedes. It will be a Muslim nation. Uh, within just 40 years, well, there will be no Sweden. And meanwhile, in the UK, a Pakistani migrant has now been arrested for fathering three children with his daughter. That's right. Three children with his own daughter. And today, a Jordanian immigrant was found guilty of honor killing murders in Texas. So it's not just in Europe. We have honor killings in Houston, Texas, folks. Honor killings in Houston, Texas. Ali Irsan, 60 years old, found guilty of two separate honor killings in Houston. All right. It's all over the world. These people are, are coming in and they're de-westernizing many parts of the world. That's the mission. That's the admitted mission. And it's being enabled by Angela Merkel, George Soros, Emmanuel Macron, Justin Trudeau. We know who these people are. It's the cabal of globalists that hate America. They hate Trump. They love radical Islam. They love leftism. I mean, it's a it's a it's a fairly understandable equation at this point. We we basically get how this stuff works. But by the way, and I, I just want to reiterate this: all of those headlines we just mentioned, that's just this week. That's just one week in Europe. Just Western Europe. I mean, there's there's stuff that happens. I'm sure we missed dozens of cases, perhaps, but these are just the biggest headlines this week as we continue to watch the takeover of the Western world, essentially by Islamic extremists. I'm just glad they're not coming in here. I, I read in 2017, Trump took a total of 11 Syrian refugees, and all of them were Christians. So that's about as 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 good as we can as we can hope to to see. Uh, of course, most of the Christians were slaughtered. They're, they're not left in the Middle East. They've been exterminated. Uh, and you're never going to hear that story. And there's never going to be books written about that, uh, at least that are published mainstream. Uh, 
But that's what happened. It's it's happened for five years. They've succeeded. Their operation's been successful. And now that the people have been transplanted into their new homes, basically, uh, in Sweden and France and Germany, now the easy part comes. Now all the globalists have to do is sit back, watch the show, enjoy, and wait. I mean, no more people have got to come into Sweden. You realize this number is not, it's not about if current trends hold. This is just if the number of Muslims in Sweden right now have the average number of kids that they normally have, Sweden's no longer Sweden. I mean, that's what you're looking at. The mission's been accomplished. Unless you get these people back out, you're not going to recover the demographics of Europe. And it's not that it's about supremacy or who's better. Obviously, you know, we don't need to debate that. Western civilization has won that argument. We are better than Middle Eastern civilization. There's, there's just no question about that. Uh, and, to, and to downgrade, essentially. It would, it would be like if you went into the Verizon store with your iPhone 12, you know, that's two years ahead of its time, and you traded it in for a brick phone. That's what they're doing in Europe. It's unbelievable, Laura. Unbelievable. Another insane story that I wanted to share with you, too, is uh, Muslims in New York are mad at Governor Cuomo because Governor Cuomo said that uh, that Donald Trump's administration is uh, is on a jihad. So he said they're on a jihad to deport as many people as they can. And so the Muslims are like, hey, Donald Trump's a white supremacist. You can't say that he's doing jihad. Right. So mind you, the Muslims in this country are so comfortable with uh, with basically taking taking credit for jihad and owning jihad, thanks to people like Linda Sarsour, that they are now trying to make it mainstream and get the governor of New York uh, to apologize for using the term jihad. I mean, it's unbelievable. <laughs> right, right. And of course, there is no debate about the meaning of the word jihad. Uh, no matter what they tell you, uh, they are very clear about what jihad means. Uh, and you talked about this a bit in your article that we talked about at the beginning of the show. You talked about how on the words, on the letter of what they claim in the Quran, there is no debate about what jihad means, correct? It's, it's, you cannot be friends with a non-Muslim under the directive of jihad. You can be friendly with a non-Muslim, and, and some people will point to that and try to construe it as a friend. Of course, being a friend and being friendly are not the same thing. Go to your local exactly. used car lot. Go, no, go to your local used car lot that's known for selling lemons, and I'll guarantee you one thing. When you pull up and get out of your car, you'll be greeted by somebody who is friendly. They're very friendly, but they're not your friend. They're there to sell you a used car. And that is precisely what we see here. They, they can be friendly. They can't be your friend. That's what their religious text tells them. Um, so it is what it is, folks. It is what it is. And, you know, really what this comes down to is a unique feature of Islam. You know, if, if you follow Christianity... To, in a fundamentalist way, meaning you follow every letter, every directive, every period, every dotted T and every or every dotted I and every cross T. If you do that, you may not have premarital sex. You may wear a cross around your neck. You might wear modest clothing. You might look something like the Amish. Okay, all right. If you follow Judaism in that way, in that sort of extreme way, you might be caught, you know, dressed up in a black suit in the dead heat of summer. If you're a woman, you might not be caught wearing an ultra-conservative outfit, not showing even so much as your ankles. And, uh, you know, that's about it. You'll celebrate Shabbos, you'll go to synagogue, and you'll study the Torah. If, however, you follow Islam to that same letter-of-the-law kind of mentality, you'll do a very different set of things. You'll fly around the world, you'll go to a particular type of training camp, 
And I regret to inform you, they're not training you to sew or knit a sweater. No, no, they're showing you how to make apparel of a very different sort. And all of you know what I'm talking about. That's the difference between Islam and everything else. But uh, Laura, I want to talk about uh, Facebook. Have you have you seen this? What what's been going down with Facebook this week? I mean, the company had the biggest drop of any stock has has ever had in the history of the stock market in a single day. Did you see this? Forty billion dollars wiped out in seconds on the stock market. Of course, the Wall Street insiders did all their selling before the big crash, just so you guys all know. And then they bought puts against whatever they had left. Of course, I wrote an article in June of 2017 entitled, Is Facebook the Next Too Big to Fail Big Short Trade? In which I laid out many reasons why Facebook could be the next good short trade. Now, if you had shorted Facebook at that time, I think you'd still be down on your position, I I might add. Uh, I'm happy to admit. But if you had done it the way that I advised you make the trade, which is with long-term put options, if you had purchased long-term put options... In June of 2017, you're up big on your position. Volatility has gone up on Facebook. It's more than outweighed the decay of the value of the options, and you've done very well. But we don't need to go into the specifics of derivatives trading here. What I mean to say is that I've been right about Facebook the whole time, and my main reason that I predicted Facebook would go down is because I saw weakness in Mark Zuckerberg. While everybody else was lauding him, I said that he would become the next Marissa Meyer. I predicted that he would be tarred and feathered before the public for draconian tactics at Facebook, for taking orders from the communist Chinese and everything else he does, and that he would become a beleaguered, weak CEO, and that Facebook's value, much like other FANG stocks, was dependent on Mark Zuckerberg's guru status, and that Mark Zuckerberg would be stripped of that guru status over the following 12 months, and that's exactly what's happened. Zuckerberg is no longer a guru. Facebook has lost tons and tons of value. And it'll be interesting to see what happened. It didn't even have a dead cat bounce on Friday, Laura. It continues to fall. Uh, we'll have to see what happens on Monday. But uh, it doesn't look good for, for Mark Zuckerberg. He's lost about $16 billion of net worth in just one week. Pretty incredible. Yeah, and he's been taken off the uh, the list of the world's like most wealthiest individuals. So look, like I always say, karma has no deadline. Karma has no deadline. Absolutely. And of course, you know, Facebook's business hasn't changed much. It's not as if they changed anything radically with their business. I mean, it's the same thing fundamentally. Loop people in, give them a dopamine hit here and there, and then show them ads and take money from the advertisers. It's pretty, pretty simple to understand. It's a addictive little app you use, and they show you ads. That's how it works. But the main problem for Facebook has come from their censorship of conservatives. If it wasn't for their censorship of conservatives, Zuckerberg would have never been called before Congress. None of this ever would have happened. So Zuckerberg, being the genius that he is, declared late Friday, after the massive crash in his stock's price, that he is going to do something to fix it. What did he declare that he's going to do? He claims that he's going to work to remove Alex Jones from the platform. They've already frozen Alex Jones's personal page. They claimed that his his, his personal account's banned for 30 days. They, they're planning to strip him off of the platform. And anybody that shares his links is going to come under massive attack from the platform. I don't know what people are seeing in Facebook anymore. I don't know why anybody's still using the app. I don't really like Facebook. I think it's an ugly platform. Uh, I think it's immensely complicated. It's nothing but people bitching and moaning. What do people see in Facebook, Laura? I'm missing something here. Why do people enjoy using Facebook? Why, Why does somebody take a beautiful afternoon, beautiful summer day and say, you know what? 
I want to go on Facebook. What what is the the appeal? Of I Facebook? just my favorite thing was when Ted Cruz came out to defend Alex Jones. I'll read you the tweet in case you didn't see it. He said, "I am no fan of Alex Jones. Among other things, he has a habit of repeatedly slandering my dad by falsely and absurdly accusing him of killing JFK." <laughs> but who the hell made Facebook the arbiter of political speech? Free speech includes views you disagree with. Oh God, it's so funny. Right, right, and of course it. it that's very true. Uh, yeah, it's it's incredible. Really, Ted Cruz has been at the tip of the spear on this stuff. He really has. He's been at the tip of the smear of the spear on stopping Facebook from their their censorship of political opinion. I think that Matt Gates has taken an interesting tack on all this because you know I've asked these. It tends to be the new right, alt right kind of crowd that believes that the government should step in to stop the tech giants from censoring people. And I've taken the view that. That's not a good idea because that's the government meddling in private business and it's their website. And just like I can block an IP address from my WordPress site, I think that Twitter should be able to block my IP address from their website. But Matt Gates has taken an interesting tack on this, Congressman Matt Gates. What he has done is said that this is a violation of FEC rules. Because, of course, what's happening is, and Laura, you and I have been shadow banned essentially on and off all week. Uh, essentially, when people go to search our profiles in the search bar, we don't come up. Fake accounts come up. When people go to tag us in their tweets, they put at, they could put L-A-U-R-A-L-L-O. It won't show up. Your, your thing won't pop up, uh, the shortcut to, to tag you. They're doing all of these kind of tricks. And above all, when you send a tweet out, it just doesn't go to our followers. They're, they're launching massive censorship. And the opinion that Matt Gates has taken is that, well, they're giving an unfair advantage to our opponents. And that is a violation of FEC rules as we are in an election year, after all. What do you think of that? Do you think he's, he stands to gain any steam there with an FEC complaint against the, the group? Because that yes, sounds I interesting do, to because, me. Because think of it. If you're, if there, there are laws that have to enforce equal time for candidates when you're running for office, right? To ensure that each candidate within a market gets equal time and viewership to reach out to voters. And if Twitter now is a, it, it is a mainstream platform and it has the potential to reach, you know, billions of people and if twitter is is shadow banning individuals like they are right that's been proven then they've admitted it too on the james o'keefe exposés that came out months ago well then that means that republicans aren't getting equal access to voters and so they could potentially be hiding republicans which i believe they are uh from reaching their 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 base their constituents and that's a serious problem right right of course it's a real problem and it, it raises it raises some issues there but i mean uh, you see it you see it over and over again i i dismiss this stuff and of course you know liberals are are celebrating this liberals love this i thought they were liberals i thought they wanted everybody to have an equal footing i thought they were all about equality i i guess not only when it's convenient to them are they the the mavens of equality uh the the, the american left that is so i think it'll be really interesting to see what happens with matt gates's suit i think that's that stands to gain some ground and whatever anybody says, the shadow banning is happening. I mean, Twitter released this this really ham-handed response where they said, we do not shadow ban. Why would they say that? Because they do. That's a fact. There is no debate about whether they shadow ban. Even Axios, even CNN, you name it, has been forced to admit that Twitter shadow bans and Twitter's denying it. 
It's unbelievable. But uh, they're asking for trouble as well. Twitter stock was down 15% this week or so. So, I mean, all of these companies are, are just asking for it. And they're t- I'm sorry, 20%, 20%. Twitter dropped $8, 20.56% in Friday's trading. Unreal. Unreal. I mean, do these people like to lose? Do they like to lose money? Do they not get it? Do they not get that perhaps it makes sense for them to have more users and that's a good thing? Or no, they want to kick everybody off and ban everybody. Right. Understood. Understood. Well, we'll keep following the the censorship debate. What else are you going to be watching, Laura, into uh, Tuesday when we release our next show? Well, I'm going to be releasing an expose this week, so stay tuned for that. Um, I'm monitoring a lot of the uh, the congressional races closely, and also I'll be paying attention to any developments in uh, uh, in the Dur- Toronto terrorist attack and some of the other uh, jihadi attacks that have been thwarted uh, in this country as well. Because not only is there crazy news coming out of Europe, but there's also a lot of uh, you know terror related events happening here in the United States that get brushed under uh, the rug. And so I am going to be paying attention to that. Well, that's interesting. I'm going to keep watching what's going on with these tech stocks and the trade war coming into Tuesday because I think we're going to have some new announcements that come out. I'm hearing some rumors that Trump is prepping yet another round of tariffs against China and the EU. And and Laura, you know, I've been to the store several times. I haven't noticed that the cost of my can of Coke has gone up to $18. I mean, what's going on? I thought this was going to, the sky was falling, right? It's just trade war. We're going to lose. Trump's a moron, according to the media. Uh, what What's all? What's this all about? I mean, unreal. Uh, it seems like the economy is doing just fine, even given the fact that we're mm-hmm. in a trade war. I guess the media's fear-mongering was, was, was wrong yet again when there's real things to worry about out there. Of course, in the meantime, folks, you can follow us uh, on all platforms. Myself at Jacob A. Wool, Laura at Laura Loomer. You can buy her merchandise at lauralumer.us. All of those links are down below in the show notes. And uh, we'll be back on Tuesday. Make sure to write a good review, share this show with all your friends. And I promise you this, on Tuesday, we're going to have uh, a new advertiser to talk about. If you're interested in advertising, of course, you can reach out to us and we'll work something out. Laura, it's been great. And uh, we'll see everybody back here on Tuesday. See you guys later.